This morning, we're going to finish a sermon series called Faith Under Fire. And uh, Faith Under Fire, we've been looking at this uh, Old Testament book of Daniel. And I don't know if we have the slides. There's the slides. Uh, we've been looking at the Old Testament book of Daniel and just the first uh, six chapters of the text. And this section of the Bible deals with these four teenage boys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who lived in the kingdom of Judah in the late 7th century BC. And Judah was one of the two kingdoms of Israel. That's the people of God, the Israelites. These people had long since split apart. Um, Israel went to the north, and then the, the new kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, um, settled in the south where the city of Jerusalem was. And in the closing years of the 600s BC, the Babylonians uh, came and they uh, conquered Judah. Israel had been conquered uh, decades earlier by the Assyrians. They were no longer a nation. Judah was hanging in there till the Babylonians came in and King Nebuchadnezzar overthrew uh, Judah and took captive the city of Jerusalem. And they took most of the nobles and the rich people and the royals and they took them into captivity. They transferred them all the way over to the city of Babylon. They left some people there to like farm the land so that Babylon could have more food. But for the most part, most of the rich, most of the nobles were taken into exile. And Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah were part of this group. And they were put in a place where they could be indoctrinated into Babylonian culture for three years. Uh, they had their names changed to Babylonian names. Daniel was Belteshazzar. Azariah was uh, Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And during these three years, they proved their faithfulness to God. So even in a foreign land, even though they were being taught about all of these other gods, all of these other things, they kept their faithfulness to the one true God, to the God of Israel. And the first thing we see them do in chapter 1 is they refuse to eat the king's food because the king's food would have been considered to the Hebrews to be unclean. So they requested that they be able to eat vegetables and water for three years. And they, put, uh, they, they made a little test, proved worthy. They were able to not have to eat unclean food. They were able to stay faithful to God and to obey his commands. And at the end of the three years, God was with them, and they proved themselves to the king, and they were put into service for King Nebuchadnezzar. And we might think, well, that's, you know, why would they want to be in service to a, a foreign king, a king that doesn't believe in their God, a king that doesn't believe the way that they do? But we came to realize that they were put into those places for a reason. Daniel was put into place because he was given wisdom to be able to interpret dreams and to interpret signs. And we see several times in Daniel 1 through 6 how Daniel was used by God to share a message that God had for King Nebuchadnezzar and later for King uh, Belshazzar. And he was able to share these messages and give glory to God. And the kings we see uh, praise, well, they praise Daniel uh, for his God, even though they don't come to praise God. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, not until much later, uh, began to praise God. 
But then we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In their own uh, event, Daniel wasn't there, or at least we, we don't read that he's there, and they uh, faced their own challenge. They were commanded to bow down to a golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar. And they had a problem, because God had commanded his people that they should never make an image or an idol, and they should never bow down and worship it. And when the king was told that they refused to do as the king commanded, to bow down and worship this idol, the king threw them into a furnace, a burning, fiery furnace, the Bible says. And soon the king discovered that the three were not burned. He looked into the furnace and he saw them just walking around, talking to a fourth person, who shouldn't have been in the furnace in the first place. And the king realized that that fourth person looked like what he called a son of the gods. And he called them out and he praised the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he said, your God is the one God that can deliver you from physical danger." So all throughout this time, Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they are spending this time in exile, in a place where they absolutely did not want to be, being inundated with this worldly information and these worldly practices. And we watch them staying faithful to God and to his commands. And you can read all about these events in Daniel chapters 1 through 5. And chapter 6 is what we're going to look at today. And, and I really do, I encourage you, go home, sit down, read Daniel's chapter 1 through 6, and just see how the faithfulness of a few people had such an impact on this worldly leader, King Nebuchadnezzar. And see how faithfulness to God in the face of all these dangers, provided them with peace, provided them with protection, provided them with provision. And the world looked on them favorably. But this morning, we're going to take a look at this last chapter, Daniel chapter 6. And Daniel chapter 6, everybody knows Daniel chapter 6. If you've been in church any amount of time, and even if you haven't, you might have heard this story. It's about Daniel and the lion's den. How many of you have heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den? Okay, see, I should have said how many of you haven't, because most of the hands raised up. Most of us, if we've been in church, we've heard this story, especially if you were in Sunday school as a kid, like, right, like at least twice a year, we, heard, we learned about Daniel and the lion's den. Now, of course, we didn't dive as deeply into it as we can here, right, because there's some pretty frightening stuff going on in Daniel and the lion's den. But we're going to take a look and we're going to start reading in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1. And the first thing we read is that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Now, in case you don't remember, if you weren't here last week, at the very, very end of chapter 5, we see uh, the Persians uh, conquer the city of Babylon. They kill King Belshazzar and Darius is put over the kingdom of Babylon. 
So this is Darius, and he is setting up his kingdom, and he's dividing it up into these 120 areas because it was that big. So we continue reading, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. So a satrap was a provincial governor and the king divided the, the entire kingdom into 120 uh, towns or provinces or governorships and he assigned these 120 guys and then over them, right, kind of like a hierarchy, over them they had three people that were going to oversee them. So they would report to the three people. The three people would then report to the king. And the king did this so that he knew what was going on in every province all the time, so that he would suffer no loss. And Daniel was one of those officials. Now, a lot of times in Sunday school, we'll see Daniel and, and he's kind of a young guy. But Daniel was over 80 years old by the time this happened. So he's, he's old, like me. And he is put over all of these 120 people. And Daniel, you'll remember, is an outsider. Daniel is one of the Hebrews. Daniel is not a Babylonian. He is not a Persian. He is not a Mede. These are all the people that, were, that should have been in charge in Babylon. But it gets even worse. Look at verses 3 and 4. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Can you imagine an outsider basically being given the powers of the king? Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom because they were not happy with this decision. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And I can't help but think about our election system these days. I can't help to think about these politicians that they spend millions and millions of dollars to try to find dirt on people, right? And every time we find dirt on people, we report, we get the reports of the dirt. This person did this, and this person said that, and this person did this. And it's the same thing with Daniel. Now, they didn't have social media, right? They didn't have computers to look things up. They had to look into his background by hand, right? Manually. But they couldn't find anything. He was faithful, and it wasn't just faithfulness to God, but because he was faithful to God, he also believed that he should be faithful in his work. Because when he's faithful in his work, he shows his faithfulness to God. He shows that he can obey rules and do things the right way. So his faithfulness is seen by all 122 of these other guys. They can't find any dirt on them. Then they realized something. They came to realize, and we read in 
uh, chapter 6, verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. We got to do one of two things. We either have to show that Daniel doesn't really truly follow the laws of his God, even though he makes it an excuse that that's why he does or doesn't do certain things, or we need to put our laws in opposition of his God's laws and make him choose. And if he goes against the king's law, then he needs to be punished. This is the thought process. This is the, this is the stuff that we are talking about here and we're off to the races, right? We're off, here we go. The rest of chapter six is filled with lies and political posturing and intrigue and a king uh, who <laughs> doesn't seem too bright as we're going to see. But before we go into the rest of, of Daniel chapter six, the psalmist David in Psalm two, verses 1 and 2 wrote something very interesting. He said, why do the nations rage and the, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against, together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now this was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Daniel. Already we know that the world is going to act against God. That the kings and the rulers of the world are going to act against the people of God, his anointed. And we see this, and this is exactly what the satraps end up doing in Daniel chapter 6. They start working against God. They manipulate the king to try to get the king to do something that Daniel will have to make this choice between his God and the king's law. We go in chapter uh, 6, verse 6 to 8. These high officials and satraps came to an agreement or came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. And when you see, O King, whoever live forever in the Bible, usually it means there's trouble coming. Somebody's getting ready to uh, do something really bad and they're trying to, to kind of butter the king up a little bit, make him feel, O King, you are the greatest, you are the best. There is no king higher than you. Right? They want him to feel really good about himself. And then they say this. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed. We all got together. We agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. And we're going to tell you what that injunction is, king. That whoever petitions to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions. That's the rule that we want you to uh, pass. We want you to write this law, this executive order, if you will, that says for the next 30 days, if anybody asks anything of anybody except for you, we want them killed. We want them thrown into the lion's den. Now, first of all, we, feel, we hear this, and, and it's pretty harsh, right? thrown into a lion's den for, for basically asking of someone something, right? So for 30 days, nobody can say, hey, can you tell me the directions to such and such a place? 
This, is, this, this was the law. If you ask anybody anything, any kind of information, any kind of, you know, can, can you give me two loaves of bread? You could get thrown into this den of lions. And we think that that is a harsh punishment. But we learn that Darius kept lions. He kept lions for the purpose of killing people, of throwing them into the lion's den. This was a harsh king. This was a harsh country, Persia, Mede. They were harsh people. They want to kill people for doing whatever it is that's against the law. And that this is not some new punishment. This is not some insane, crazy thing that the satraps made up. This was the culture. This was capital punishment. And the Persians practiced brutal executions. They used crucifixion. They, they did stoning, uh, just like the Jews did. They, that stoning was one of the ways they executed people. They buried people alive as a punishment. Now, I will say Persia had a really fair system of laws. You usually, if you were sentenced to something where you were going to get the death penalty, you deserved to get the death penalty for it in that culture. And not, according to history, not a whole lot of people were killed or executed that, that didn't fit that bill, didn't fit the law. But when you did, it was brutal. I learned this week that being thrown in, I would rather be thrown into a lion's den than some of the other things that the Persians did to kill people. I shared one with Wendy yesterday. She got mad at me. <laughs> she said, never tell me anything like that again. And I will not share any of those with you, but they were insanely harsh. Things that you probably couldn't imagine. But the thing is, Persia was pretty normal. Most countries, most kingdoms, most nations back in ancient times used these kinds of punishment because they believed they were a good deterrent for committing crimes where capital punishment was used. But the satraps wanted to temporarily make asking a god or a man for anything a crime that was worthy of death. And the satraps knew that this was an easy way to get Daniel. This was the easiest way possible to kill Daniel and have it be legal. See, later on in the chapter, we learned about Daniel's religious practices. And we're going to read about those in just a minute. But the satraps knew Daniel's religious practices because the Bible tells us that this is what he always does. So they knew that all they needed to do was catch him and they could have him killed. And for some reason, Darius, the king, agreed to this whole thing. And it says, therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. And I don't know what Darius was thinking. I don't know where his mind was. But 122 of his leaders came and they agreed and they said, this should be a law. And Darius said, okay. We'll make it a law. It's only for 30 days. What could go wrong? Our boys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, they had faced some hard things. 
Things that challenged their faith put their lives in danger, right? Eating the king's food challenged their faith. Would they disobey God or would they obey and face punishment? Would they bow down before an idol against God's commandment or would they stand up and face death in a fiery furnace? And we've seen over and over again that they remain faithful. They do the things that God has commanded, no matter the danger to themselves. And here's Daniel facing another danger. Am I going to remain faithful and continue living my life of faith the way that I always have? And if I do that, I'm going to get thrown into this den of hungry lions? Or am I going to say, oh, well, it's only for 30 days. I'll just stop. God knows what's in my heart. I don't want to be killed, so I'm just going to stop praying for 30 days. I'm going to stop reading my Bible for 30 days. And Daniel makes this decision. And he makes the decision because he knew about the ordinance. He wasn't there when the king signed it. But we read in, Jan in Daniel uh, 6.10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. See, Daniel's faithfulness is what set him up for these satraps to come and arrest him and get him thrown into the lion's den. But we don't read about Daniel going to the king and saying, King, what are you doing? Why are you, are you crazy? Why are you doing this? We don't read about Daniel looking to get revenge against 122 other people that he works with and saying, what, why, are you guys, why are you guys doing this? Why are you trying to get me killed? He just remained faithful. He just kept doing what he was doing. He kept praying three times a day. So it all went down just like the satraps thought it would. Daniel goes to his window and he kneels down and he prays towards Jerusalem three times a day. And they come to his house and they just kind of stand across the street and they're sitting and they're watching and they're waiting and 120 of them. There's Daniel. Breaking the law. Let's go to the king. And they all, they run to the king, man, and they run to the king fast. Daniel 6, 12. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Like the king's an idiot. Like he's not going to remember that that's what he signed. It hasn't been that long. It was only a 30-day law in the first place. But, O king, didn't you just do this? Really condescending people. And in verse 13... After the king, of course, agrees, yes, I did that. What's your point? Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition 
three times a day. And this is it. The satraps thought, no more Daniel. Finally get him out of his life. No more Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Right? Being all king, all pleased with him, getting ready to put him over the whole kingdom. Well, we're going to see what happens now. And the thing is, the king likes Daniel. Daniel has done better for him than all. 122 of these people, probably combined, have done for his kingdom in the short time that he's been there. He knows Daniel's reputation. And throughout the next verses, we see that the king works all day trying to find a way to get out of killing Daniel. But the way that the legal system was set up in that time, when the king put out an ordinance and he signed it, it could not be changed. For 30 days, he had to follow his own law. In verse 16, we read, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. He couldn't find a way to do it. He couldn't find a way to save Daniel without breaking his own law and suffering his own consequences because even though he was the king of Babylon, the Medes and the Persians were kind of over everybody, right? They had lots of kingdoms. And he didn't want to get in trouble. He didn't want to die. So he had to sacrifice Daniel. But he did say one thing. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Now, I don't know if Darius actually believed that Daniel's God could deliver him, but I'm fairly sure he probably heard the stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I'm sure that he heard about some of the stories of these four guys and the things that they went through and the faithfulness that they showed to God and the things that God did for them. So maybe there's this tiny, tiny little bit of faith that Darius has in the one true God that he can save him from a den of lions. Because Darius knows his lions Darius had his lions collected and he has seen what they can do to a man when they're thrown into the, into the den with them. May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. So Daniel's thrown into the den of lions and the king, the king was up all night long. The Bible says he didn't eat, he didn't sleep, he didn't talk to anybody. All he did he might have laid in bed, tossing and turning all night. He might have paced the floor all night, just waiting for the sun to come up so that he could run to the lion's den and see what had happened. And he had this one little sliver of hope. May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And in verse 19, we read, Then at break, the, the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. This hurt him so much to do this. 
And the king declared to, da uh, to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, whom you serve continually, has your God been able to deliver you from the lions? And there's quiet. And he waits for Daniel somehow to be able to answer. And then he hears, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Daniel gives God all of the glory for being able to answer the king when he called out in anguish. And the Bible says that the king was exceedingly glad. And I love sometimes how the Bible really kind of downplays the emotions here, right? He was exceedingly glad. I can imagine the king like shouting and whooping and pumping his fist in the air like we do when like somebody scores the winning point in one of our sports games. Woo! Yeah! Daniel's alive! Daniel's alive! Get him out! Get him out! Get him out! And they come and they take the stone away and Daniel comes out of the lion's den and the lions are still down there, probably with the angels still holding their mouths shut so he doesn't kill the, the king, right? And then they cover it back up and Daniel's there. And he was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. No kind of harm, not even a scratch, because he had trusted in his God. That's what the Bible says. He trusted in God, and no harm was found on him. And the king celebrated. And then the king did something else. We're not going to talk about what else the king did. You can read the end of chapter uh, 6. It's not pleasant for the people who accused the king of uh, or accused Daniel of the whole lion's den thing, uh, but you can read that yourselves if you like. But our point is, and the point of Daniel chapter 1 through 6 really is, we will all face our own lion's dens. We will all face our own fiery furnaces at some point if we follow Jesus Christ the way he tells us to follow him. Some Christians around the world, they don't just face unpleasantness. Some Christians around the world don't just face sort of tests of their faith. They face things like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego faced. According to Open Doors USA, they serve persecuted Christians around the world. In the last year, and this was from their most recent report, 2022, 5,898 Christians around the world have been killed for their faith. Almost 6,000 Christians have been killed for their faith. Another 4,765 Christians have either been detained without trial or arrested or they've been sentenced and imprisoned because of their faith. And over 5,000 churches and other Christian buildings, buildings where Christian organizations operate, have been attacked because of their Christian faith. 
And so far in the United States, we hear about the occasional attack on a church. Nothing like what they're facing in Asia, Middle East. We have not, we have not truly faced persecution. Not on that level, not on that scale. In fact, I would say that compared to Christians in Asia and Africa and the Middle East, we got it pretty good. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. That doesn't mean that at one point in our future that we won't face the same persecution that people in Africa and Asia and the Middle East face. Threats of death, threats of imprisonment, or actual death actual imprisonment. There are people in the United States who hate Christianity. That's just a fact. They hate Christianity and they hate Christians. And we might see that some of those hate-filled people might have some influence in the future. But it's okay. Even when that happens, it's okay because Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hate, hated you. It's okay. Jesus goes on a chapter later and he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The world may do things to you, but I rule over the world. I have overcome the world already. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But James also tells us, count it all joy my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You will be fully in Jesus Christ. You will live eternally in the presence of God the Father. Now church, we need to pray for those Christians who are persecuted around the world. Our Christian brothers and sisters, they are suffering. And we need to pray for them. We can pray for their rescue. We can. And we should. But I think even more we should pray that their faith will continue to hold them up under persecution. That they will feel God's comfort and His peace even as they're being thrown into a den of lions. We need to pray that God will strengthen them so that they can endure persecution. And we might want to pray for Christians in the United States to start looking to God to strengthen our faith so that we might stand up under persecution. James tells us, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him.
This is the good news. You will receive a crown of life that God has promised to you who love him. And I'm going to let Jesus have the very last word on this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to save us, to deliver us from death, and to give us the hope of eternal life that salvation and a relationship with him brings. And Jesus, we thank you for warning us that the world will hate us because it hated you first, that the world will persecute us. But we also thank you for giving us the strength to stand up under persecution. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will work in us to strengthen our faith. We pray for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, under torture, imprisonment, facing death. Father, if it be your will, rescue them. And if that is not your will, give them the strength to stand up and to give you all glory and to say as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us. But even if he does not, we're going to remain faithful to our God. Father, that is such a powerful testimony to a world that is lost, to a world that is filled with hate towards your people and towards you. Help us to have the strength to do the same. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you can say that God is alive? <laughs> Woo, God How is many alive. of you can say that God is alive? God is alive in us if we are faithful to him. I pray this week that you will go out and that you will show people that God is alive in you, that God's love transcends everything, and that God's power can keep us faithful to him. God bless you this week.